Welcome to the Labor History Podcast. Women and the Labor Movement, Part 2, Clara Zetkin and International Women's Day. The Labor History Podcast is produced by Victor Liu. I'm Avery Ware. In Women and the Labor Movement, Part 1, we learned that women were the first U.S. workers to organize in factories starting way back in the 1830s. But this early labor movement advance died from lack of solidarity from the existing all-male craft unions, which were influenced by the dominant sexism. Then, during the Civil War and Reconstruction, women's organizing spread and gained acceptance from the newly formed National Labor Union. And newly emancipated ex-slave women workers began organizing. Women, including many Southern black women, were tens of thousands in the spectacular but brief rise of the Knights of Labor. When the American Federation of Labor was formed, it opposed racial segregation. It voted to support women's suffrage in 1903, and it accepted an alliance with the Women's Trade Union League the same year. But the AFL retreated from its early progressive stances to increasingly tolerate and then support racial and gender exclusion. Then in 1909, 20,000 rank-and-file immigrant women garment workers, mostly immigrants and including black women, acting despite the hesitancy of their male union leadership, went on strike in New York City. Their victory in that strike started a wave of even larger strikes and organizing in several cities among women garment workers. The uprising of the 20,000, as it was called, changed three things. One, women for the first time became a permanent mass presence in the unions. Two, the union movement began to move beyond the minority of skilled craft workers into the broad mass of the modern industrial workforce. And three, International Women's Day was born. Like May 1st, or International Workers' Day, March 8th commemorates a U.S. labor battle, yet is much better known and celebrated in the rest of the world. German socialist Clara Zetkin proposed to the Copenhagen International Working Women's Conference in 1910 an International Working Women's Day celebration for March 19, 1911, to commemorate the uprising of the 20,000 in New York two years earlier. The first International Women's Day was on the 19th. Later, it was changed to March 8th. I want to spend most of the rest of this talk telling the remarkable story of Clara Zetkin. Zetkin, in Germany, joined the Socialist Workers' Party in 1878, the same year the party was outlawed by German Chancellor Otto von Bismarck, a band that lasted 12 years. So she went into exile and met socialists from many countries. The party had extremely progressive stances on women's liberation for the times, though they and Zetkin 
accepted what gender studies students would today criticize as essentialism. That's the problematic idea that all women have inherent characteristics like motherliness. But despite this, they argued that humanity could not be free as long as women held unequal status in society. That meant not only that laws and customs based on inequality, like women's inability to own or inherit property or to hold certain jobs, had to be abolished. Not only that, they also believed that unpaid domestic labor, cooking, cleaning, laundry, and raising children, must be shared by the whole society so that women would no longer be isolated in the home and dependent on men earning wages or other income. They wanted women to join the paid workforce in order to be free from social and interpersonal disempowerment relative to privileged and dominating men. Clara Zetkin at first opposed the demand for women's suffrage, arguing that votes for women would do nothing to change working women's poverty and oppression. Only organizing, she said, would do this. But she changed her mind and pioneered her party's strategic approach to the suffrage issue. Though we could classify her beliefs as broadly feminist today, Zetkin opposed what was called the feminist movement at the time, which called for votes for women, but was willing to accept that only property-owning women would get the vote. Thus, Zetkin saw the feminists of her time as an upper-middle and ruling-class bunch. She also worried that the feminists aimed to unite working-class women with ruling-class women against working-class men. So the strategy Zetkin championed was for the Socialist Party and its unions to join the fight for suffrage as its most aggressive wing, the only one that uncompromisingly called for votes for all women. In 1891, Zetkin became editor of the socialist women's newspaper, Gleichheit, or Equality. She increased its circulation from 11 to 67,000 in just a few years, giving her a nationwide fame and following. In 1907, she was in a position to organize the first International Working Women's Conference. Zetkin in these years emphasized the necessity for all workers to fight for equal pay for women. She said the pay gap benefits the capitalists doubly, first by keeping women's wages low and then by weakening the labor market so that men's wages were also held down. So Zetkin was well positioned in 1910 at the second International Working Women's Conference organized by herself to gain approval of Louise Zietz's proposal, which Zetkin seconded, for Working Women's Day. When the day finally came, over one million working women and their supporters rallied, March 19, 1911. Their demands were the right to vote, the right to work, the right to job training, the right to hold government office, and an end to discrimination. Zetkin was shocked and appalled 
that all of the Social Democratic Party's representatives in the Reichstag, except for one, Karl Liebknecht, voted for credits to pay for Germany to enter World War I in August 1914. She considered the war an immoral contest between the ruling capitalists of each nation for the profits of world colonial dominance, exploiting the working class's patriotic feelings to get us to slaughter our fellow workers in other countries. Liebknecht and Rosa Luxemburg joined Zetkin in protesting the war, and ultimately all three left the Social Democratic Party to found Germany's Communist Party. Of these three leaders, Zetkin, as editor of Gleichheit and leader of the party's women's movement, commanded the biggest mass following. The internationalist minority of the socialist movement of the world, that is the one that opposed a war of workers killing other workers for capitalist profits, had a disproportionate number of women leaders. And in 1915, Zetkin helped organize the International Women's Peace Conference that helped lay the foundation for what became history's most significant and powerful anti-war movement. The chain of events that ended the war, in fact, began through an International Women's Day rally in 1917 in Russia. On that day, women textile workers went ahead with their planned demonstration, disregarding warnings from the Bolshevik party that the rally would get them killed. To everyone's surprise, though, the rally actually grew and grew, and it continued for days. First, it called for an end to the war, then began to call for the czar to step down. Women demonstrators called on soldiers to join them instead of shooting them. And when the soldiers did just that, the czar was forced to resign. The new government still refused to end the war, but as more and more soldiers refused to fight and workers organized into unions, factory councils, and citywide councils that began to democratically take over the cities, that government too was overthrown in October 1917. And the new government of workers' councils pulled Russia out of the war and called on workers in all the warring nations to fight their warmongering governments rather than each other. It also became the world's first government to give women the vote, to legalize abortion, to decriminalize homosexuality, to recognize gay marriages, and to carry out sex reassignment surgeries. And it set up a women's bureau led by Alexandra Kollontai, which organized neighborhood daycare, laundry, and communal kitchens in order to take the burden of domestic labor off of women. It also toured the countryside, training women to become government leaders. Unfortunately, Stalin disbanded the Women's Bureau in 1930 and also recriminalized abortion and homosexuality. But back to the war years, one year after the takeover of the work by the Workers' Council in Russia, in Germany there was a growing wave of anti-war strikes. 
German naval troops then refused to sail off to battle, threw their officers overboard and raised the red flag. German workers set up their own councils and the German Kaiser was overthrown. World War I's nightmarish slaughter finally ended not because of peace negotiations or battlefield victory, but because of labor action sparked off by women workers on International Women's Day, originally instituted to commemorate the uprising of the 20,000 New York City garment workers. Clara Zetkin was elected to the Reichstag of the new German government in 1920, serving on behalf of the Communist Party until the year she died, 1933. In the 20s, she organized a new International Women's League. She supported black freedom in the United States, for example, in the Scottsboro Defendants Campaign, in which eight black teens were falsely accused of raping two white women in the South. She supported national independence for all the colonial nations. And in 1933, as the most senior member of the Reichstag, she opened its proceedings with a powerful speech calling on the working people of Germany to unify and rise up to prevent the rise of the Nazi party by any means necessary. 